The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. For many of us, this weekend, this Labor Day weekend, marks the last hurrah of summer. We have now just half a weekend left to either try to cram in all those projects and uh, things that we were hoping to do for the summer, or we have just half a weekend left to luxuriate in that delicious possibility of sitting around and doing nothing. After this weekend, we may look back at the summer as one of lost opportunity for projects not accomplished or for Sabbath not fully taken advantage of. And we may look at what's coming in the next week or so as a tidal wave coming toward us. In any case, the God that we see at work in our Hebrew Bible story this morning doesn't care so much about our past, summers or otherwise. That is to say that while God knows and pays attention and cares about where we've been and what we've done and what we've left undone, God is much more interested in where we are going and what lies ahead. God has plans for us to move forward, guiding us, providing for us, giving us what we need to get done what we're called to do. It's hard to find a better example of this characteristic of God than in God's relationship with Moses. Moses, as 
we may know, is one of the great heroes of the Hebrew Bible. For centuries, he was credited with actually having written the first five books of the Bible. It's Moses that leads the enslaved Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt. And that experience, that of the Exodus, as it's called, is so formative in the Jewish tradition and remains foundational to Jewish self-understanding to this day. The holiday of Passover, celebrated in the spring, commemorates this awesome deed that God accomplished through Moses, this liberation from bondage in Egypt. Moses stands over the whole Hebrew Bible, and even in our Christian scriptures, Moses is present, and in particular, in the Gospel of Matthew that we're reading from during this church year, Jesus is presented as the second Moses, the second great teacher, great liberator in our tradition. All this is to say that, despite all this, on the face of it, Moses didn't have such promising characteristics to be this great leader. Born into the persecuted and enslaved Israelite people, rescued from the River Nile by Pharaoh's daughter, raised as a foreigner in Pharaoh's court. As an adult, he commits murder, then tries to dump the body, and then runs away when he realizes he might get found out, and lives as a fugitive from justice, you might say. He marries a foreigner in the land of Midian and finds work for his father-in-law as a shepherd. And it's here in Midian as a shepherd that he has this remarkable experience with this curious bush, which then leads to his amazing adventure leading God's people out of bondage back in Egypt. Now, a number of things, I think, are interesting about this encounter with God that may be instructive to us. First is, although I don't know a lot about shepherding, actually almost nothing, about watching sheep, I imagine that there must be some amount of time where you're simply sitting and watching. Not doing anything in particular, not trying to stay busy, but rather just being attentive to what's going on in front of you. Keeping your eyes open, your ears open, being present to what's going on in front of you in order to keep the sheep safe. This kind of attention this kind of attentiveness, this kind of being present to what's going on right in front of you, seems to me to be a precondition for receiving what God has to offer. That's the first thing. The second thing is that God is not nearly concerned, not nearly as concerned about what we think we are capable of as much as God is concerned with letting us know what God is capable of. After God's initial call of Moses 
Moses raises no fewer than five. We only get two of them in this morning's reading, but over the course of the whole story, as it extends into uh, the rest of chapter 3, Moses raises five objections as to why he can't possibly do what God wants him to do. The first objection, who am I? The second, what shall I say? The third, well, what if they don't listen or believe what I have to say? Fourth, well, I'm really a bad speaker. You see, it's getting more and more pathetic as it goes along. And then finally, he says, can we just please send somebody else? You know, he just gets, cuts right to the chase. You know, I don't want to do this. Just send somebody else. All of God's answers to Moses' objections are grounded in God's power and capability, not Moses's. We, each one of us, do well to remember that, that it's not about us, it's about God. Many of us are called to do things every day, large and small, that we may feel that we can't do. We may look at our past and think, you know, there's just, I've had too much to overcome. I just can't do this. Or I've squandered too many opportunities. You know, I've shown I can't do what I'm supposed to do. There's no reason I'd be able to do it in the future. I have too many liabilities, too many weaknesses. It's just, it's just too hard. Well, God never promises Moses that it will be easy. Only that, only, only that God will be with him every step of the way. Likewise, in today's gospel lesson, Jesus more or less promises a pretty strenuous, arduous life for those who accept the call to be his disciples. For us, today, we have the opportunity to trust that God knows our pasts and our weaknesses and our liabilities and says, I am with you. You can do it. Because it's not really about you. It's about me. I'm reminded of what I once heard Peter Gomes say. Peter Gomes, the chaplain at Harvard University, and quite a speaker and preacher uh, in a graduation talk that I heard him give. He says, our real tests in life are not measured by how well we face what we are trained to do, but how well we face what we are not trained to do. Like Moses, we all face tasks and situations that we're not prepared for. But with God, we can move forward, resting in God's grace and power through us. Amen.